Well, good morning. So my name is Corey Mitchell, and I currently serve as the chairman of the Board of Elders here at LEFC. So this morning, we're continuing uh, our sermon series, Ablaze, uh, where life and scripture meet. And each of us have the, who've been up here have the opportunity to share from texts that have had a significant impact in our lives. And so we've been planning this for a couple months. So early on, when, when you know, okay, this is what the series is going to be about. So I, said to, I told it to my wife, and this is what the series is going to be about, and I'm going to be one of the people speaking in it. And so she says to me, so can you cover the entire book of Deuteronomy in one sermon? <laughs> And I said, well, 34 chapters, one chapter a minute, absolutely. So, you ready? No, we're not going to cover, not going to put you through that this morning. So, no Deuteronomy today. What I picked is a, is a passage that is even more foundational uh, for me, a passage that has been uh, impacting and changing me for over 15 years. Now, we're just going to have a short, short time right here today. So, this is just a couple things that I'm going to share from it, but... That passage is Genesis 12, and it's verses 1 to 3. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 12. If you need a Bible, the ushers are coming down the aisles. They can provide you with a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible, make it your own, spend time in personal study. You can also follow along on the Bible app if you're using your phone, uh, and that'll have the various passages uh, that we're going to be referencing and some of which we'll be looking at together. All right, so now, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Before we read it, I want to talk just for a moment about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So, about two months ago, uh, our longtime elder, elder emeritus, Ray Lucas, passed away, went home to be with the Lord. I had the great pleasure of getting to serve with Ray, knowing Ray, serving with him over many years on the elder board, um, having a friendship and a relationship with Ray and supporting Ray and Norma. And I also got to learn from him over that time. And it's really striking to me how often in a conversation I'll say, I first heard this from Ray Lucas. Well, I first heard this from Ray Lucas, what I'm going to share with you. So sitting in a class with Ray uh, a number of years back, and he made the statement, and he said, Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is the prologue. It's called the prologue of the Bible. And so I'm sitting there, and he's still talking, and I'm listening, but I'm processing that. Uh, and... I thought, okay, so the prologue, right? That's what comes, that was, that's what comes at the beginning of a book uh, before you get into the story of the book. Well, I, so thinking about that, that really clicked with me. That really resonated with me. I had already been at the point where when I look at Genesis 12 and I look at this call of Abraham, that like, this feels like this is where it really begins. It really starts what God's going to do. And yet, those first 11 chapters, right, are incredibly foundational. They are the underpinnings of all of it. There, it's the book of beginnings. And in particular, that it recounts these four important historical events. The creation of the world and mankind, the fall of man, the flood and the accounts around the flood, and then fourthly, the separation of the nations. It's important when we think about this story and this call of Abram because what happened, what has happened that has gotten us to this point? How did we get to this place uh, when this is about to transpire? So let's look at it. I'm going to read the first three verses. You can follow along with me. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, 
and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I want to I cover all three of these verses individually today during our time, but I want to start with the third. To me, this is the most significant uh, of the three, so I want to start with that one. Now, when we hear this verse, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, particularly the last portion of it, where we stand at this point in history, having the full text of the scriptures, what should happen for us is that the name Jesus should just rise right off the page, right? That's what we should see when we read that. That ultimately, this is what God wanted to do. This is what he was promising. The fullness thereof is found in Jesus. He is, he is going to be that redeemer, the ultimate redeemer who God uh, is planning and is laid out here. In fact, very first verse in the New Testament, very first verse in the Gospels from Matthew 1.1 is this. It'll be on the screen. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Matthew's Gospel in particular, the Gospel to the Jews, um, Matthew understands exactly what he is saying in these statements. First of all, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of David. And all that that phrase means which we're not going to cover today, maybe another time, right? But more importantly to today, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham, the one that God promised back at the beginning. And then the lineage account here in Matthew 1 begins with Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, which is different than the other lineage account, which is found in Luke chapter 3. Goes the other direction, starts with Jesus, it goes the other way, but goes all the way to Adam, right? So a different account. But, but Matthew's making that point. This is the promised one. Uh, Paul picks up on the same theme about this verse, uh, Genesis 12, verse 3. In Galatians 3, you don't have to turn there. Uh, we're going to turn there later. Um, but let me just read two verses from Galatians chapter 3. This is 7 and 8. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So Paul gets the idea, this Genesis 12, 3, this is the gospel being announced to Abraham back at the beginning. Now, I want to go just a little deeper on this last phrase, last part of the verse 3, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So particularly the all peoples on earth. So let's just do a little exercise. <clears throat> okay, show of hands. How many of you are reading a translation which instead of the word peoples, that's here in the NIV, your translation has the word families. Okay, show of hands. How many? Okay, smattering. So if you're reading the ESV, the English Standard Version, or you're reading the NASB, New American Standard, or you're reading the KJV, King James, you have the word families. That's what it's saying. So we're just going to hold on to that nugget for a moment. And let's look at this other word, earth, the word that's translated earth uh, in this place. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's most commonly translated as earth is the word eretz. 
Uh, in fact, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, ha'aretz. So over 650 times translate. But that's not the Hebrew word that is used here in Genesis 12.3. So I'm going to show you the word first, right? Because I want you to, I just kind of want you to have a response when you see it, all right? So here's the word, okay? So there's the word, Adama. Now, I'm guessing that when you, that word came up on the screen and you looked at it, what stood out to you was Adam, right? That that's what you saw, Adam. So, and, and it's, you know, same Adam, the man, Adam, the man, and Adama, the earth, but obviously Adam formed from the red clay, from the red earth, so same root. But for me, when I looked into this and I was studying this and I, I saw this, it, it it provided insight to me in the passage. It, it really made something fresh come out to me, and that is this. If I take the phrase, all peoples on the earth, and instead I put in the phrase, all the families of Adam, all the families of Adam will be blessed through you. The idea, what was lost, what was broken, what was marred, what was corrupted in the fall of Adam is going to be made whole. It's going to be made right, made righteous. It's going to be recovered through you, Abraham. What led to death is going to be raised back to life. All the families of Adam are going to be blessed through you. So the story, God's story, the God's story of redemption does not begin in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God's story of redemption begins in Genesis. It begins in the beginning, particularly in Genesis 12, verse 3. God is a redeemer. It's who he is. It's his character. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth. So God's a redeemer. So a little, little bit of application in your own life. Now, I know a lot of you. I know, I know many of your stories, maybe your past stories and testimonies, and maybe I know for some of you what's going on in your life right now, but for most of you, I don't know your story. I don't know what's going on in the past. I don't know what's going on right now. I sure don't know what's going to happen in the future, but can you see God's story of redemption in your life? When you look at your life, the past, and what's happening now, Whatever you might be going through, whatever's going on, good, bad, other, can you see God weaving his story of redemption? Because that's what he is doing. That's what he has been doing. Not just in Abraham and the great heroes of the faith and the scriptures, but in your life as a follower of Jesus, weaving a story of redemption. Can you see it? Do you have eyes to see that story being played out? For me personally, this passage, again, as I said, it's been a long, uh, uh, just long years of, of impact. But but just going back uh, early on. So I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking through this, and, and I think, you know, we, we use this phrase. We call Abraham father, right? Father Abraham. We sing a song about it. Father Abraham, have any sons? I'm going to just stop now. Uh, so well, 
well, wait, if Abraham's our father, what does that mean? What is the significance of me saying Father Abraham? In Genesis chapter 14, there uh, they describe Abraham, says Abraham the Hebrew. And so I, I had this question, and I, and I put this up before God. Uh, I made a request of him. I said, I want to understand my Hebraic heritage when I call Abraham my father. What does that mean? And what is the significance? Oh, my goodness. What a loaded question. What a loaded request that was. I had no idea what God was going to do. Uh, so, many, so much impact uh, that that has had on my journey with Jesus, how it's influenced my study, influenced my teaching, and really impacted even the way I think. I've shared this before in classes, and I, I really believe that God has rewired my brain. He has forged new synapses in my brain. Now, earlier in the series, Pastor Joel, who's up front here, he, he preached from Romans 12 too, and I forget the version that was, but be ye not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of my favorites as well, right, that God does work. I'm pretty sure Paul meant that figuratively, having your mind transformed, but Maybe people like me, I, I really believe he did that literally, that God altered my brain. I think differently. I process information differently, and I certainly look at the scriptures differently than I did back before that point in time. So now when I read the scriptures, when I open up the text and I'm looking at it all the way through, I'm looking, I'm expecting to find God's story of redemption. That's what should come off the pages. That's what I'm looking for. I want to see that. And so that changes how I perceive it. So now, now this, is, this is no longer, particularly thinking about the Old Testament, this is no longer the story of a foreign people. But this is my story. I'm a part of this story that God has been weaving. And that changes my desire to get it, to understand it. I want that to sink deep. I want to understand this. I want this to be a part of me. Uh, I want that to happen. So just thinking forward and what's going to happen after, in, after Abraham's account in Genesis. So by the end of Genesis, we have uh, Joseph, right? Joseph sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. And ultimately, that is used by God. It brings Jacob's whole family, all of the sons and the whole family, down to Egypt during the famine. Joseph in, uh, sent ahead, has food, really for the whole world, not just for Jacob's family, for the whole known world, and they're delivered. So just a couple definitions. Defin uh, definitions of the word redemption, dictionary definitions. Let me share this quickly. Deliverance. Rescue. Atonement for guilt, and this one's my personal favorite, recovery by payment, deliverance, rescue, atonement for guilt, recovery by payment. Those are dictionary definitions of the word redemption. God, he's buying back what is his, right? So he, this was his act of redemption in the events around Joseph and Jacob's family. The beginning of Exodus, right at the beginning, Moses being saved as a baby, right, from the evil command, the evil um, directive from Pharaoh to put all the Hebrew uh, males to death. Moses is delivered, and then following his time in the desert, God sends him back to bring the whole nation out, to deliver, to redeem the nation out of bondage, the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Onwards, right, going into Canaan, God's con God meets up with uh, Joshua has this encounter with God, 
God goes into the land before them. He takes the first city, the first ones his. He goes before them, leading the conquest of Canaan, redeeming the promise that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The period of the judges and this cycle of uh, turning away from God and unbelief and sin and then being enslaved by their enemies, the nations around them. And then God raises up a deliverer. He raises up a judge and he gives him victory over the enemies, and he turns their heart back to him, his act of redemption. And then the period of the kings. Uh, what I see here, when I look through the period of the kings, I see God's sustaining of the line of David. There's no good kings in the, in the house of Israel, right? So it's hard to find something there, maybe the story down the road of what God's going to do in recovering them. But in David's line in particular, the house of Judah, we see God sustaining the line. We see him raising up a king, a righteous king at key intervals in sustaining that line. And then a, a part of the Bible that's near and dear to my own heart, the exile. Um, God protects the people while they're in exile. In exile, they are spared from the destruction in Jerusalem. They're protected, and then ultimately God brings them back. He redeems, returns and restores the exiles. And then culminating, we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the greatest story of redemption that God had in mind, right? The birth, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the hope of the nations, and God's ultimate savior of the world. That's the story of redemption. I see that everywhere I look is God weaving his story of redemption. And he's weaving it in our lives as well. Now, we don't have time to look at uh, this morning at subsequent chapters and God's interactions, but I just want to, just a couple quick references. There's multiple times that God renews his covenant. He starts his covenant here with Abraham in 12, but he renews it a couple times. And each time he renews it, we get a little bit of another insight into God's plan of redemption, his plan of salvation. Genesis 15, 6, a great verse. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. We come to understand from the beginning... It has always, salvation has always been by faith. Always by faith, never not by faith from the beginning. Later in Genesis 15, you have the really odd, strange account of the pieces and Abraham's put into a deep sleep in this smoking fire pot. God walks through the pieces. And what's the insight? The insight is salvation is a gift, right? God alone walks through the pieces. One-sided covenant. He is, he is the Savior Salvation is a gift from him. It's not earned. And then Genesis 17 is where God renames Abraham. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. 17, excuse me, 17, 5. And so we understand God's plan of salvation is for the nations. No longer will the nations be separated, but his plan, his intent through Abraham is to reunite the nations. Now, none of that could happen if Abraham did not heed the call of God uh, in here in Genesis chapter 12. So now let's look at verse 1. But I don't want to start in verse 1. I want to go back a little further and start in chapter 11, verse 27. Uh, so go back a few verses here, and I'll pick it up in 1127. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. 
The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now let's jump down to verse 5. Sorry, verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So here's, here's one of the challenges to me of, of studying the Bible. We read chronologically, by I read chronologically. We're used to stories that kind of go in a chronological order, and so sometimes the text isn't chronological. And so what's the, you know, how are we to understand this? Because if I read this, I might conclude that Abraham didn't do what God said because it sounds like, right, Terah took his family to Haran and Abram didn't leave his father. He stayed there until his father died and then he went to Canaan. So was he not obedient? So Paul Harvey moment, right? And I realize when I make that reference, I'm losing a huge chunk of the room, right? So I'm not even that old myself, really. I Paul Harvey, right? So what's the Paul Harvey moment? The rest of the story, right? So the rest of the story. Well, when we look at the full, I want to look at the full council of scripture that talks about this. So just a couple other references. They'll be on the screen and I'll read them. Uh, I'm gonna, we'll read all three and then I'll comment on them to kind of full, f- finish out the story, so to speak, or uh, build out the story. So the first one is from Joshua 24. It's verses 2 and 3 that I'm going to read. Joshua speaking to the people. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. And in Acts 7, verses 2 to 4, I'm going to read. This is Stephen's account, Stephen's testimony uh, at his martyrdom. To this, Stephen replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. And then Genesis 31, verse 53. So the context here, Jacob is leaving Laban. He served him the 20 years. He's leaving Laban. Laban goes after him. They meet up, and they come to an agreement. We're going to separate. We're going to go our separate ways, and we're going to promise not to harm each other. And this is part of the vow that they make. May the God of Abraham... And the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. So the rest of the story for me when I read this and I put this all together is, first of all, Abraham grew up in a home that worshipped false gods, that worshipped idols. His father was not a worshipper of the Lord. He worshipped other gods. 
Secondly, God did call Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans, not from Haran. And thirdly, somewhere along the way, somewhere along the story, Abraham's father, Terah, came to worship the God of Abraham. So to me, this was not, this was not Terah's party. It was Abraham's party, and his father went with him. Not just in following him, if you will, to the land, but even more importantly, in coming to worship Abraham's God, the same God of Abraham, the Lord. Now, the personal side of this, another part of the personal side of this account for me is, is how Abraham's story and my own story uh, kind of come together in the similarities. So I wasn't raised in a church going home. Uh, my brother and I were raised by our mom. Uh, so it's not that we worship false gods or other gods. We just didn't worship God, any God. But God intervened in my life. I was 24 years old through the, through the testimony and through the faithful witness of a, of a dear friend from Penn State. Uh, I came to Christ at 24 years old. God intervened in my life, and I said yes. I want Jesus as my Lord. I need him. I don't want the life I have anymore. I need a new life. I don't know what to do, but Jesus, you are the hope that I have. Now, at the time, I understood that I was leaving something behind, right? Like how my family, had, I'm, I'm moving on from that. I'm leaving that. And I understood that I'm starting something new. I'm going to have a new family line uh, going forward. Now, I didn't know what that was going to mean for my family, and certainly my heart's desire was that my, my brother and my mother and my father, that they would all come to faith. Um, you know, I'd certainly heard that testimony, and that was my heart's desire. Well, a number of years later, my father, like Abraham's father, came to faith in Christ. And I felt like I got my father back, that God, God gave me back my father. And when I read these texts and I see this story with Abraham... My conclusion is sometimes when we take the step of faith and God is calling us to leave behind what we know and leave behind our area of comfort and leave behind, you know, maybe the family, uh, and, and we need to say the amen to that. We need to say yes to that. But sometimes he will raise that. We need to die to it, if you will. Right? He, need, he sometimes will raise that back. And I believe Abraham got his father back, but now he was a fellow worshiper of the Lord. So let's look at verse 2. Let's conclude with verse 2. Chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And certainly Abraham's name is great. Amazing to think. Abraham's lifetime was over 4,000 years ago. But his name is still as known and honored and regarded around the world as it's ever been. I'm wondering if any of our names will be remembered after 100 years, right? Because 4,000 years, his name is still known, is still honored. His name is great. Uh, now, I went to school in the 80s, um, but I'm wondering if, like back then, they still would talk, teach about Abraham in school. Abraham, the great monotheist. Abraham, the one who worshipped one God uh, and his impact on the world in that way. So his name's great in that sense. But... That's not what makes his name great. Abraham's name is great, 
But what makes his name great, and certainly in the eyes of God, what makes his name great is that he is, as Paul describes in Galatians 3, the man of faith. That's what makes his name great. Let's turn over to Galatians 3. So we're going to leave Genesis 12. We're going to go to Galatians 3, and then we'll conclude with one other passage. Galatians 3, and I'm going to read again verses 7 to 9. So I'll give you a moment. All right, Galatians 3, 7 to 9. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham is the man of faith. And what kind of faith does Abraham have? Did he have? His faith was an active faith. Uh, his faith was lived out in the things that he did. Uh, James, just one reference from James, James 2, verse 22. This is how James describes Abraham's faith. He says, you see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. They went hand in hand. And we see it right, all the way back there in Genesis 12, 4, right? God calls him, and he went as the Lord commanded. He was obedient. It was an act of faith that he demonstrated. Now, my favorite passage of describing Abraham's faith, and it's where I want to take us here, our concluding passage, is in Romans chapter 4. So turn with me to Romans chapter 4, back uh, just a few pages. And I'm going to read, starting in verse 16, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. So Romans 4, 16 to 25. So Paul, to me, eloquently describes the faith of Abraham. There's two things I want you to do while I read it. One is I want you to kind of grab hold of those different phrases that Paul uses that describe Abraham's faith. But secondly, I want you to see in here how we are tied into that same story, that same uh, faith of Abraham, all right? So, and then I'm just going to comment on a few verses. We're not going to look at the whole text, but just a couple verses that I'm going to call out. So picking it up again in 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. That's from Genesis 15, 6. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life 
for our justification. So just three verses out of that just great description that I want to pull out. So verse 17, this phrase, the God, what kind, of, what kind of God did Abraham put his trust in? The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Abraham's God could take what was dead and he could make it alive and he could take what did not exist, what was not. This is not how things are and he could make it so. He could call it into being. And then... Verse 20, 21, he did not waver through unbelief. Rather, he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Abraham held on to the promises of God. He held on to those promises, and he was convinced that God had the power to fulfill the promises that he made, right? He's the God who can raise the dead, and he's the God who can create out of nothing. Uh, so surely he has the power to fulfill his promises. And then lastly, 23 and 24, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. This is the faith we are to have, right? So back to that application in your life. Again, whatever may be going on, whatever may be happening right now, are you holding on to the promises of God, knowing, uh, meditating on the promises of God and trusting he is trustworthy. We've talked about this during this series, how a common theme that feels like it's weaved through it is God's trustworthiness. And that makes sense to me when I think we're all going to choose passages that have impacted it. Because what impacts us is when we find indeed God is trustworthy, and he is. Put your trust and your hope in him. So I was studying the book of Romans years ago, and I came to this passage in chapter 4. And so I stopped and I went back to Genesis and I thought, I want to kind of look, how did Abraham live out his faith? What actions did he do? So I made a short list and I'm going to share it with you this morning in ways that Abraham lived out his faith in action. So here's the list. First of all, he did leave his home. He left what God, he, he left the home um, and went to where God had led, not knowing where that place was going to be. Secondly, he took Lot. He had basically obviously adopted his nephew Lot. He took Lot with him. And when they came to the land, even though God had promised like the land he was going to have, he, let, he allowed Lot to make the choice of his uh, preferred land. Later on, Lot, Lot was captured in this battle between kings in the area. Abraham took 318 trained men in his household, and he went out and defeated these five kings, and he rescued his nephew Lot. And then in that same text, he refused the plunder uh, offered by the king of Sodom, but he tied to Melchizedek, the high priest of Jerusalem. Later, he circumcised all the males in his household. And I just want to make this point, right? Thinking back to that text, 318 at the time, probably more, circumcised over 318 males in his household at God's command. That would have taken a while. That's an effort. And then he pleaded with God for the righteous in Sodom. Ultimately, obviously, Lot and his family is saved. Abraham pleaded with God. And then lastly, and what Abraham is most known for in his acts of obedience, he offered Isaac in obedience at God's command. And as Hebrews 11 describes it, he Figuratively speaking, he got him back from the dead. So, do you have the faith of Abraham? Are you redeemed? Have you placed your trust in Jesus, the promised seed of Abraham? 
if you are redeemed, right, if you, if you name the name of Jesus and you've, you did that a long time ago or you did that recently, whichever the case would be, do you have a living faith like Abraham's faith? Do you have a faith that says yes to God's call? What's he calling you to do now? What is he speaking to you? What is he prompting you to do? Are you saying yes? Do you have a faith that says yes to the... Can you see beyond to the call of God? Can you see beyond the difficulties? Can you see beyond the temporal things of this world? And can you see Jesus weaving his grand story of redemption in your life? Now, if you haven't been redeemed, you've never named Jesus as Lord, the scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Confess to Jesus today that you're a sinner in need of his salvation, in need of his redemption. Declare him Lord of your life today and believe and receive his promises today to make you like him in this life and to raise you from death in the life to come. Let's pray. Father, I do praise you. We lift up. Your name is great. You made Abraham's name great, but your name is the greatest name. Jesus, your name is above all names. And we honor your names today. Thank you for your grand plan of redemption that you've been orchestrating down through the ages, that your desire was to recover, to buy back what was yours, to buy it back at a cost, a significant cost, free to us, but at great cost to you. Thank you for your redemption. I pray for those here who are redeemed, who have Jesus as Lord, but who are struggling, whatever they may be struggling with. They want to know your will they want to hear from you. May they hear from you. May they say yes. May they be led by your spirit. May they trust in your promises and see your deliverance. And I pray for those who are not redeemed, who have never bowed the knee to Jesus. Today's the day. When I was 24, I made that commitment. I, my life was altered, was changed forever. God wrecked my life for the good. Father, today, may you speak to the hearts of those who have never put their trust in you. May they do so today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me for the blessing. So for the blessing, I want to speak this over us. This is from Hebrews 11, where it talks about, obviously, the, the hall of faith, if you will, but Abraham is a part of that. And I want to read those, a couple of those portions as a blessing over us. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. May you say the amen when God calls, and may you set your eyes on the heavenly country. You're dismissed.